To The Point is your source for bite-sized education commentary on the important issues impacting education today. I can promise you, your hosts won't always agree on the solutions, but their conversation adds unique insight to the national dialogue. When you need education policy analysis without the fluff, get to the point. Hi, I'm Jim Horn, and this is Doug Messicar, and this is To The Point. Florida has always been considered a leader in education reform and particularly school choice. Uh, this year was no different than in the past and maybe even to an even higher degree in that the state of Florida, led by our Speaker of the House, took upon himself to make a dramatic move in forward in, in education reform, but especially in school choice. Uh, HB1, which involved the Universal School Choice Bill, a Universal Education Savings Account, uh, again, puts Florida, I believe, at the forefront. Uh, Florida has historically been a leader and has enjoyed a lot of success. And, you know, maybe it's up for argument whether Florida is the, quote, choiciest state or the best state. Uh, I'm bullish on Florida. I'm a resident of Florida. I am a former legislator and participated in the early, early parts of the education reform efforts. So education savings accounts, Doug, what do you think of them? Or is that a, is that a good move or is it just another gimmick and wasteful spending? What's your what's your take on on a universal uh, school choice. Yeah, Jim, it's a great question. And, and you can make an argument, Jim, that Florida was following Arizona's model and even Iowa. So I, I'm not sure Florida was first to this game when it comes to universal education savings accounts. But that being said, Jim, you know, here's the question. Why are we giving money to parents who could otherwise afford to send their kids to private schools, right? That's one of the chief criticisms and probably, Jim, one of the reasons why you don't see this more, frankly, in blue states is they want to help the kids who can't afford to do it on their own. And that's where they kind of draw the line. How, how do you address that, Jim? What is, how does, you know, um, you know the, the folks in the Florida legislature address that particular argument? Yeah, that, you know, that's a great question, Doug. I mean, it's it, if you start from the perspective that these resources belong to the government. And then you can certainly make the argument that why would you direct those resources to, you know, families that are already paying for private education, you know, wealthy families that send their children to, you know, very expensive private schools. So why would you want to supplement uh, those parents? That's a, that's a valid question if you believe that the tax resources belong to government and that government is an entity in it to itself. But if you believe that these resources are funds that have been contributed by taxpayers, then it, you sort of, it changes the way you view it. So it's money that the taxpayers are paying for and into education and that they should get, you know, a return on those dollars that they already pay into it. So that's, that's one way you can you can certainly justify it. But ultimately, the question is, does school choice work? Does it really have a positive impact? Because, you know, there would be, would be some that says, hey, all you're doing is extracting students out of a public system and, and leaving those that can't escape the public system 
in the public system and that the students that can escape, escape and they find some way to choice. Um, but I think the, the data points are, are pretty persuasive um, in that you've seen Florida over the last 25 years kind of rocketing towards the top of the states that have great academic results. You know, there was a time, honestly, Doug, when um, I think Florida ranked 48th, you know, and we used to joke that thank goodness for Mississippi or we would be almost last. And so through school choice, and I've seen it personally, the competition that it, it creates. Uh, one of the very first, um, quote, voucher programs that created opportunities for students with special needs. Uh, I think 450,000 students qualified uh, for that voucher, but only like 40 or 50,000 students actually took the voucher. So that meant that 400,000 students stayed in the system. And interestingly, what we saw was that the public system, because of the competition with the private system, got much better. And the performance um, of those students who stayed in the, in the public system did much better and performed much better. So I think the competition has had a positive result. Um, and so I think that that has been a, a, a huge factor. I think you add in that Florida has a pretty aggressive and robust accountability system. We grade schools and we will create some forms of punishment, even though uh, I'm not sure I've ever, ever seen an actual public school be closed. I think there are, have been a few, but there's not many. Clearly, you can have accountability, but I don't really think we've seen uh, school closures. But I think that school choice um, is, is really positive. You know, we'll, we'll see. In the next few years, we will see what happens in Florida. Um, you don't really know how many students will choose to use one of these education savings accounts. What's really interesting to me is everybody just assumes that the ESA is a, is a model for you to take state money or money that go, that is contributed to the public system and that you take it to a private school, but it's not just private school. Uh, homeschoolers can use these dollars to, purchase different kinds of things they want. There's a thing called personal education plans, which means that you can actually take this money. Maybe you could go um, to a virtual type school or, or for some or part or all, and it has tremendous amount of flexibility. And that's the part that I'm very excited about. I'm very interested to see how that actually gets executed and how that's going to work. And some of the dollars that you don't spend, so it's going to be roughly about $8,000 per student that gets funded into a special account with one of the scholarship funding organizations in the name of the, the family. And if they don't spend it all, they can accumulate it for post-secondary expenses later at post age 18. So there's a lot of really kind of neat pieces to this, but I think only time will tell. And, you know, there will be a lot of critics, I'm sure. And, and then there will be those that are also pro-school choice, but they're going to want to debate like you want to debate with me that Florida's not the leader. You know, Florida might be at the top, but they're not the leader. I'm going to always take the position that we're the, we are the leader. Well, Jim, in terms of that being the leader um, or one of the leaders, you know, what, what is the Florida approach mean for other states like i live in virginia 
Could it be exported to Virginia or pick a state like, oh, I don't know, Oregon or, uh, you know, that's my question, Jim, because, you know, if we set aside and, and that was quite an advertisement for school choice you just gave, by the way. Um, but when, when you look at states that, you know what, maybe they don't have the, the history of school choice that Florida has or they don't the, the politics don't line up. I mean, you've got kids in school today, tomorrow, that we need to do the right thing by them as well. And are there other pieces of what Florida's doing that, you know, particularly as your governor uh, runs for president, you know, there are probably ideas now. You can't do a school choice law nationwide, not not easily anyway, um, probably not at all, given politics. But what aspects do you see, Jim, are... Like what Florida's doing, it was big news, Jim, when Florida moved away from the, the FCAT, right? And went to this different mm-hmm. approach on assessment and, you know, partly, you know, the idea, right? The marketplace of education to use sort of the Florida model, your way, the way you think, private school, homeschool, charter school, regular public school is going to be probably, you know, if not the dominant, then, then pretty darn close mode of education for most kids still, even with a lot of choice, what in, what is in the Florida model today that could help those states or that if DeSantis gets elected president, like what would he want to share with the rest of the country? Much like your former governor's brother, who I worked for once upon a time, when he got into the White House, a little law called No Child Left Behind. Yeah. Well, you know, let's state the obvious that the public education system, I still believe, will be the wheelbarrow of education. It will be carrying the heavy load and and it will still be the dominant um, piece of the education uh, landscape. Uh, But it doesn't take, um, quite frankly, I've heard a couple different governors say that only takes about 20% to impact um, the majority. So, a small portion that choose, you know, a choice um, creates enough competition that can make the the bigger sort of monolithic system better and more competitive. And I do believe that that will probably be the case. And I think that you're going to begin to see uh, that's maybe less threatening. Um, I mean, initially, when you go down this path, you know, the crazies to the right and left, you know, they get out and they say all the kind of crazy things and, and, you know, those on the other side of school choice say that it's the, the, the end of public education. No, it's not. I mean, nobody, I don't think anybody really believes that. Those on the right think, hey, we're going to be able to eliminate the public education system and put everybody in a maybe in a religious school. You know, no, we're not. That's not going to happen. So the, the, the ideas, you know, begin to kind of those radical ideas or viewpoints, I think, begin to dissipate. And then I think you know, folks begin to see, you know, where and how it can fit. You know, what the pandemic has taught us for sure is that we all live our lives quite differently. The way I operate um, is quite different than what I did before the pandemic. I was on the road a lot. I did a lot of face-to-face meetings. Now I do a lot of stuff virtually as we are doing this podcast virtually. And I think that, you know, Business people who want to travel but work remotely, maybe they want to take their family with them when they travel. And so they're going to want more flexibility in education. And so I think we're 
we're also beginning to see school choice not in I'm unhappy with public education and I want to move out of public education, but I think you're seeing folks look at choice as sort of ag- agnostic, not not pro public school, anti public school, but as you know, a variation of modalities that can fit the needs of a family. And and I'm beginning to see schools that have been created very differently. They're not now created from a, like an eight to three o'clock, you know, with 25 butts in a seat right now, you're seeing variations of it. And I think that that to me is will break down some of the, the walls that separate us on school choice that, that might start to answer that question, whether more bluer states would maybe embrace it. Maybe they won't embrace a voucher to go to a private school, but they probably would embrace just more choices, you know, more flexibility, more opportunity. Well, Jim, I, I, you cleverly redirected my question to be all about choice again. So, you know, I'd love to pin you down. What of the DeSantis platform do you think would be something that besides choice that that would be things that we should look at as a country? Because, Jim, you know, uh, there's been kind of a consensus. I, I You were part of it. I was part of it around what it took to really, you know, address, frankly, you know, back to the nation at risk, just the, the shortfalls and the lack of performance. And I'm not sure, Jim, that, you know, we saw as much gain as we would have liked nationally, right? We certainly saw bright spots, but it also feels, Jim, that coming out of the pandemic, like it's time to try some new and different things. Obviously, some states are really going deep on choice. Beyond that, Jim, and and I know we got to get to the point, you know, what would be the two or three things that you see happening in Florida that, that you'd love to see other states take on? Yeah, I think, and and I'm going to use that to spring forward and say a DeSantis presidency, right? If he became president, what could you see him doing that he's yep. pushing out to all the states? And one thing he doesn't get much credit for, but it's his focus on teachers and raising teacher pay. And, you know, while I've always said it's not about the pay, but it really is a lot about the pay. I mean, it may not be all about the pay, but it's pay is an important part. And we certainly have not been able to recruit the best and the brightest into the profession. I mean, quite frankly, we don't treat it like a profession. I mean, we call it a profession, but is it really like lawyers, doctors, engineers, accountants? No, it's not. We, you know, we don't do it that way, but he has dramatically uh, increased the teacher pay in Florida, set, you know, floor levels of starting pay, now working on the, you know, and what happens when you increase starting pay, then you end up with compression, right? You got veterans that now don't make a lot more than the the, the rookie teachers. Um, and he's doing a lot to kind of get the veteran teachers pay, you know, where teachers can be paid well without having to feel like they have to leave the classroom to be successful financially. Um, and now, at least in Florida's case, and I think it's probably this way everywhere, is more than half the teachers are coming through an alternative pathway. They're not coming through the traditional college of education. So they're coming, you know, sometimes they're career changers. Sometimes they're coming different paths. He's opened that up more, made that easier. He's tried to recruit those retiring from the military to come in and be teachers. 
So he's put a dramatic focus on teachers. So, and I think that's one thing you would see him do for sure. Jim, are, are you saying we could see a DeSantis, Bernie Sanders bipartisan agreement? Because Bernie Sanders has a federal bill to make the minimum teacher salary 60 grand per year for every teacher. I kind of hear you saying there there could be some connection there, you know, crazier things have happened. That doesn't mean that, you know, those of a more liberal persuasion can't get it right occasionally, right? Now, they would probably want it without any kind of ties to any kind of performance. I would think that knowing DeSantis and his conservative roots, you know, he would be all about increasing starting pay, increasing veteran pay, you know, but I think he's not going to just dump money in there for no reason without some expectation that we're also going to have teachers that are well-trained and that they're getting results. Because at the end of the day, if we're not getting students learning and progressing and gaining a year's worth of knowledge and a year's worth of time, then it's nothing but a colossal waste of money. So, yeah, I think that they would agree on increasing starting pay. I have my doubts that Bernie would go along with some of the other requirements of it, but you never know. You hey, just never know till you get there. Once upon a time, George W. Bush and Ted Kennedy came together to pass historic right. education reform. So who knows? There may be a new era of bipartisanship uh, in the future. Yeah. Well, Jim, uh, you had gotten to the point on school choice. I love your point about teacher pay, and I think that'll be – and just the professionalization of teaching, the number one in-school factor that affects academic achievement, Jim, quality of the teacher. So let's come back to that, Jim, and see where we agree and disagree on our next episode of To The Point. Professional pay for professional teaching. That'll be our next one. To The Point is your source for bite-sized education commentary on the important issues impacting education today. I can promise you, your hosts won't always agree on the solutions, but their conversation adds unique insight to the national dialogue. Jim Horn is a strategist partner and former Florida Education Commissioner serving under Governor Jeb Bush. Doug Messicar is a strategist partner and a former teacher. He's also served as a senior ed tech executive and a U.S. Department of Education Deputy Chief of Staff. This episode is powered by Strategus Group, a national education management consultancy. To learn more, visit www.strategusgroup.com and follow us on LinkedIn. When you need education policy analysis without the fluff, get to the point.